Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We have a guest speaker with us, and we hope that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Praise the Lord. While they're collecting that offering, I'd like to say thank you for your generosity and thank you for believing in the evangelist. In the body of Christ, I think the evangelist is the adrenal gland. I used to pastor, and I know that there's a different function and a different unction. It's not that we're better than a pastor or or worse than a pastor, but uh, if you lived on adrenaline, you might die. If adrenaline was pumping 24-7, you might die, but when the dresser falls on the baby, the adrenal gland is a very helpful thing, you know what I mean? I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to read beginning at verse 1. They don't have it in the media department, the first five verses, because I didn't give it to them, but then they'll have the rest of it. 1 Samuel chapter 30. The service theme has been victory. This is a message about victory, and it's also a message about loss. And uh, the title is, What Do You Do When You Lose Everything? What do you do when you lose everything? And it is an encouraging message. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this would be a great day to go home and put your head on the pillow, knowing to be absent from your body, you'd be present with the Lord. This is a fine day for that. I had a little revelation a couple of years ago. People aren't embarrassed to respond to invitations. They're not embarrassed by much. If you look at social media, they take pictures of themselves in front of toilets. I mean, it just doesn't, people aren't embarrassed. The potential embarrassment, though, comes in their mind when they say, what if I give my heart to Jesus on Sunday morning, but I lose my mind at the Walmart parking lot on Thursday afternoon, everybody's going to know I'm a fake. I'm going to know I'm a fake, to which I say, let Thursday worry about Thursday. Today is the day of salvation. Don't worry about Thursday. Thursday will take care of itself. If you don't know him as your Savior, I've never regretted in 37 years my decision to follow Jesus Christ. Not one day have I regretted it. This would be a fine day. And then also we're going to have an opportunity to do what you're hearing in the message, to put some feet to it, to, to go after that which the Lord has gone after for you, to be aggressive in prayer in the kingdom of God. And uh, I think you'll understand as we go through. I'm going to pray, share a little uh, illustration, and then we're going to read a lot of this chapter. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Hallelujah. 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 Gracias, Señor, por el Espíritu Santo y la sangre de Cristo y la palabra de Dios. Gracias por este ente aquí en este momento, Señor. We need your anointing. We need your power. I feel your presence in this place. You are gracious and merciful. I just feel like you're going to repair some things somehow or another today. That's, that's the feeling that I get, that stuff is gonna, that's been complicated and disconnected is going to start getting connected and become simple. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. And I'm, I'm asking you right now what I asked you for earlier this morning, that for that anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage in the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, October 24th, 1929 was called Black Thursday. Black Thursday was a dark day in American history. It preceded Black Tuesday and the Great Depression. On that particular Thursday in America, 
Americans lost more money in five hours than was spent on the entire World War I enterprise collectively. One man who started a gas company lost $5 million in five hours. Imagine that kind of money today. Imagine it in 1929. And ironically, he, he laid down on a table in his house and turned the gas on and took his own life. Will Rogers, a social commentator, later said of that day, I was in New York on Black Thursday, and you had to stand in line to find an open window and a skyscraper to jump out of you know, because people were lined up. People were taking their lives. They had lost everything. What are you supposed to do when you lose everything? Here's a story about a man who lost everything. Take your tablets, devices, or Bible and read with me 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm reading from the New King James. I try to read a different version every year and a half. It took me 11 years to read the Amplified. Now I'm on the New King James. <laughs> Verse 1, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and they went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was, there it was, there it was, burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinanab the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite had been taken captive. Verse 6, now David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. We'll stop right there. What do you do, what do, you do when you lose everything? My, my idea is that loss is part of life. You know, if you live long enough, you're going to lose something. You're going to lose a relationship, a contract, a loved one, a marriage. You're going to lose something. <laughs> Even the great Babe Ruth led the American Leagues five times in strikeouts with 1,330 strikeouts. Even winners lose. In Charlotte, where I'm from, North Carolina, my two sons live there. One's a church planner and one's an accountant. The accountant on one week lost his laptop and his wireless earbuds. We got it on video. Somebody broke in his car and stole them. And his older brother, the pastor, he lost an entire storage locker full of valuable stuff. A maintenance man read the order wrong and dumped his grandpa's precious baseball cards into a dump and all kind of guitars and all that kind of stuff. But this, this is a story not about losing earbuds or baseball cards or football games. <laughs> this is not about that. This is about a man who, who lost everything, and it happened on this wise. First of all, he loses his job. His name is David, King David. Saul... He was working for a crazy person. You think you got a crazy boss? Saul was demonized. I mean, he was a lunatic. He tried to pin him to the wall. At least in staff meeting, they don't try to spear you to the wall, try to kill you. David lost his job. He had to run for his life. And he's a warrior. David's a different kind of guy. He is an anomaly. He is unique. He is fascinating. I love to study his life. And he had to run for his life as a warrior. Now, he doesn't know how to do anything else. He plays the harp, but, you know, that doesn't pay the bills. So with when you're a warrior, you don't know what to do. What are you going to do? It's like me if I didn't have this microphone. I'm not like Bubba that picked me up at the airport. I can't fix things and do things. If I got a job as a mechanic, I'd say to the lady, hey, your headlight fluid's kind of low. It looks, I don't know anything about anything. I barely know how to do this. 
When David lost his job as a warrior, well, he's a warrior, so what do you do? You hire yourself out to the highest bidder as a mercenary. And so he did. And King Achish, he, he took a liking to David. King Achish says, you know, David, I like you. In fact, you know what I want you to do? I'm going to give you the city of Ziklag. You and all 600 men, all the wives and the children, the animals, you just take over that city. It's a beautiful city. I want you to have it because I really like you. But here's the problem with Achish. He was the king of the Philistines. If you remember your Bible stories, David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistines were the enemy of God's people. David doesn't care. He needs to get paid. So everything is going pretty good. He meets with his boys. He says, all right, fellas, come around here. I know I've had a couple setbacks, but look here. Things are looking up. We're going to get paid. We just got hired by King Achish, and we're going to march up to Jezreel. Now, Jezreel is a place where there's a, a big battle brewing, and this battle would be the, the battle that ultimately took the life of his old boss, Saul, and his best friend, Jonathan. He says to his buddies, hey, men, follow me. We are going to get paid. So they marched three days, 90 miles to Jezreel. They're excited. They're going to fight. Warriors like to fight. People like to get paid. When he gets up there, the king calls him into his tent. And this is how it goes in my head. He said, now look, David, you know I like you. That's, that's why I gave you the city of Ziklag. Well, look here, I've met with some of the boys, and you know, we, uh, we like you, I like you, but some of the guys, they say they can't work with you, and uh, they think you're going to be a spy or something ridiculous, and they're putting a lot of pressure on me, so I'm going to have to let you go, man. No hard feelings. So now he's lost his job, now he's lost his job again. I don't know if you've ever been fired. I wouldn't recommend it. I don't prefer it. It's not a fun experience for people. How'd that meeting go when he comes out of the tent? All right, fellas, gather around. Got a big announcement to make. Woo, y'all did good on that march. Now look here. Uh, remember how I told you we're going to get paid? We're not. Follow me home. We're going home. Three days, 90 miles. When he got home, as they say in, down in Georgia, they weren't no home. It had been burnt to the ground. And all their stuff was gone. And all their people were gone. Because the Amalekites, people whom David had been pretty cruel to over the years, they would go in and they would take the people of a village and put them into human trafficking. But they would leave the village standing. When they found out that David had left his wives and children and all the babies and all the animals unattended, they said, let's go get it. And then they said, let's let it burn, baby, burn, and burn to the ground. How do you respond to Black Thursday? Well, the Internet says, if it's on the Internet, it must be true, that there are seven stages of grief. There is shock and denial. There's uh, pain and guilt, anger and bargaining, depression, the, the uh, upward turn, reconstruction, and acceptance and hope, something like that. I don't have time for seven, but I, make, I do want to make five little train stops on the way to David getting out of this horrible loss. And I believe the way David responded is the way you and I need to respond. If you haven't lost anything, thank God. But you live long enough, you're going to lose some momentum, some vision. You're going to lose something, lose the dream. How do you respond in that? I believe the first thing you got to do is, gr is grieve. Grieve. 
And David and his people with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Is there anything more moving than seeing a grown man openly weeping, especially someone like a soldier, battle-hardened, standing at the casket of his buddy and just weeping? I mean, that always moves me. A, a great athlete. A great athlete, they, they, they cart you off in a cart and, and their tears are coming down. Not only is it because of the pain that these professional athletes experience, but then the psychological aspect of knowing they got months or years of rehab, maybe, maybe never coming back. It always, it always moves me. And I believe when you and I grieve, we got to do a couple things. First of all, we have to own it. We have to own our responsibility in the loss if there is any. Uh, my my sister-in-law got a call August 16, 2018, that my only brother-in-law, 54-year-old athletic director of a large Georgia high school, no body fat, 10-mile-a-day runner, was out on a run and dropped dead, dropped dead of a heart anomaly, a bizarre anomaly that no physical had ever detected. She has, she has nothing to own in that loss. It is a horrific loss. It is still reverberating a year and a month later into the family in ways that it's indescribable. But she doesn't own anything about that. But sometimes when we lose something, it's because we're paying idiot tax. Have you ever paid idiot tax? What's idiot tax? Late fee, bounce checks, speeding tickets, you know, that kind of thing. Or you're paying for your own mistakes. When I lose stuff, sometimes it's because Joe Phillips has been stupid. David, I'm sure, was saying, what if? What if I hadn't been so mean to the Amalekites? What if I'd have stayed in Judah? What if I'd have consulted with God? What if I had stayed in Ziklag with my family? What if I had just not attached myself to the heathen king? What if, what if, what if? You own it. And also, when you grieve, you have to feel it. With all your senses. And he felt it with every sense that he had. When he got to Ziklag, there was no meal for him to taste that was ready for a returning warrior. He could not see the city, but he could see the smoke. He experienced it viscerally. He could not hear his children say, Daddy, 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 but he could hear the weeping of his men. He could smell that acrid air in his nostrils. He didn't feel the embrace of his babies. He felt it. It's a godly thing to mourn. It's a godly thing to grieve. Acts chapter 8 verse 2 says, Godly men mourn greatly for Stephen. I just don't think God wants us to grieve forever as those who have no hope. But we have to get through the grieving process. You know, we tell our, we, uh, we tell our, our kids, uh, we tell them, you know, that they come to us, and the teenager says, Pastor Josh, you've probably experienced this. They say, uh, you know, I, I broke up with her. It's breaking my heart. And we want to tell the kid, hey, 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 there's more fish in the sea. I don't want the fish in the sea. I want her. She's fine. She broke up with me and broke my heart. You've you got to experience grief. I remember the first funeral I went to as a Christian. It was in Columbus, Georgia. I was 18. A pillar in the church and a pillar in the community had lost his children in broad daylight. 
to a drunk driver. Wife severely injured, severely injured. Didn't expect to live, but she did live. And I remember at the funeral, he was on the front row, and, and he was worshiping with his hands raised. He was smiling, and it made an impact on me like a testimony, like, man, what that, that has to be God. Nobody could respond like that. And I don't want to judge the man because Jesus said, do not judge. But history tells us, and history has a way of telling on us, it wasn't long after that that the life sort of spiraled out of control and he left the fam remaining family and went off into the weeds a little bit. I lost track of him. I I I've often wondered, without trying to be judgmental, did he miss the grief step? These boys didn't miss the grief step. They wept until, until they were wept out. He grieved. But you can't stay there very long because the Bible says, it goes on to say that people were picking up stones to kill him. And I don't mean like getting stoned like that. I mean throw rocks at his head till his brains come out of his ears. They're going to kill the man. So he couldn't hang out in grief very long. He had to build a bridge quick to hope. He had to get some hope going. That's the second step. He said, uh, the Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And I believe that the bridge between grief and hope is paved with our tears and in the power of the tears. Psalm 34 says, this, man, this poor man cried and the Lord heard my cry and delivered me from all of my troubles. There's something powerful about crying out to God. In the book of Exodus, it says, and the people cried out to God and God heard their cry and sent them deliverance through Moses. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, it says, when you pay your people, make sure you pay them before the sun goes down, lest they cry out to me, I hear it, and count it as sin. And we know uh, in the first Kings that this, this guy wouldn't pass the mustard on a counseling uh, application, but, but Elijah stretches out his whole body and lays down on a dead kid, and he puts his face right on the kid's face, and the Bible says he cried out to God, and God heard his cry, and life came into that boy. There's something powerful about our tears, nothing to be ashamed of. Isaiah says, as soon as he hears our cry, he will answer. I want you to look at these quickly, these, these, these uh, screens. I'm not going to read them. Each one of those things say the same thing. I cry aloud. Next slide. I cry aloud. I lift up my voice. I cry aloud. Next slide. Every one of these things say the same thing. I, I cry aloud. Next slide. Each one of these things say cry out unto the Lord. So he, ha he had to strengthen himself. How does a man strengthen himself? Well, the first meeting David had when he lost everything, was with his guy. It wasn't with his guys. All right, guys, come around here. All right, fellas. I know we've had a minor setback here, but I got a blog I want you to read and a podcast I want you to listen to and a webinar I want you to cue in. He, he didn't try to encourage those guys. Those guys wanted to kill him. And he didn't expect them to encourage him. He, well, well, I lost my stuff too. Mm -hmm. No, the first meeting he had was with himself. And in my head, it went like this. It, he called, some of his, he called some of his mighty men over. Sorry, fellas, come here. All right, you killed 300 people with your bare hands. You're on my team. Always want you on my kickball team. All right, all right. You killed 800 people. Uh, you killed a, 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 an Egyptian a giant with, with a weaver's beam the size of a pole. All right. You killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. All right, you guys are my guys. Here's your job. I got to take a meeting in this cave. I got to go in here. And your job, get it in here. You see those guys over there picking up rocks? They want to kill me, so get it in here. 
Don't let them. All right, that's your job. I'll be back in a minute. So he had to encourage himself. And I don't know exactly what that looks like, but you read the Psalms, you get a, you get a flavor of it. Psalm 145, for example. Maybe he was thinking some of those thoughts. Goes in the cave alone. He's just lost everything. And he says, uh, maybe he says something like this. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I'll praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and declare your mighty acts. And I'm going to meditate in this cave. I'm going to meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and sing of your righteousness. David, you know who God is. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works and all your works shall praise you, including my children, wherever they are terrified today. And your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men the glorious majesty of his kingdom and his awesome works. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generation. The Lord upholds all who fall and he lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, O God, and I do too. And you give them their food in due season. You open up your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is gracious in all his ways, righteous in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, who who call upon him in truth. The Lord is gracious and fulfills his mighty word. The Lord will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He'll also hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked, but the wicked he will destroy. And my lips shall speak the praises of God, and all flesh shall glory in his holy name forever and ever. And he comes out of the meeting and he says, put down the rocks, boys. Put down the rocks. Bring me the linen ephod. Bring me Abiathar the priest. I'm going to talk to God. Now, he asked God a question. You see it in verse number eight. So the Lord inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Well, sometimes we may think, even subconsciously, that God has created in our image somehow because of how we might respond to the situation. Remember, David has been fighting against God. Now he's gone into a cave, comes out, and starts talking to God. Should I go get my stuff? And we might respond like this. Oh, well, hey, nice of you to check in with me now. Hmm, you've been fighting against me for quite a few months. Oh, hadn't, hadn't had time to talk to me, have you, David? Oh, should you go? Should you stay? Should you go? Should you stay? Let me ask an angel. He didn't, he didn't respond like we would. He's not petty or petulant. David has been away from his presence for a long time. Now he's had a meeting and he comes back into his presence. Should I go get my stuff? And God immediately answers him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. (laughs) 
That's the kind of God we serve. He's on the porch like the prodigal's dad, and he runs off. You know what you're supposed to do when you do something dumb? Anybody ever done anything dumb in this room? Raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. When you do something dumb, you know what the next thing should be? It should be the next right thing. You can't dwell on all of the stuff that you just done. You got to do the next right thing. And for David, that was saying, God, I need to reconnect with you. And God gives him a promise. When you get a promise, you get some hope, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so you grieve and you hope. And then you got to act. Then you got to act. The Bible says David inquired. So David he and his 600 men who were with him came to the brook Besor, and those stayed behind were left. And David pursued. He and 400 men, for 200 men stayed behind who were so weary they couldn't cross the brook Besor. <laughs> okay, let's analyze this for just a half second. So David lost his job, lost his job, lost his family, lost his stuff, lost the morale of his men, gets a promise, starts acting on the promise, and at the Brook Besor, one-third of his army said, I can't cross. My feet hurt. I'm confused. I don't know who I'm fighting against. I don't know how to swim. I'm tired. I'm depressed. I don't like this. And they sat down. <laughs> A third of his army was gone. But the Bible doesn't say that he got discouraged in the least. It was just a minor speed bump because he was carrying a promise with him. We sang it earlier, the battle is the Lord's. What is that? That's, the, that's from the story of Jehoshaphat in First Chronicles where he's facing a mighty opposition and he's about to lose everything. And the Spirit of God comes on Jehaziel. Uh, I, don't, I think that's how you say it. He sounds like a rapper. Jehaziel, Jehaziel, Jehaziel says, hey, I'm hearing something from God. The battle is the Lord's. And when you have a promise, you can start acting. I read in my hotel this morning earlier in my regular reading through the Ezekiel that uh, the Spirit of God told him, prophesy to the dead bones. And he prophesied to the dead bones, and they stood up, sinew and ligaments and muscle, but there was no breath in them. And then he says, now prophesy to the breath. Sometimes we're like the bones. We're up, everything's in position, but there's no life, there's no breath. There comes a point where we got to do something. I'm not trying to go back to the good old days. I'm kind of an old guy. I'm not trying to go back to the days of no air conditioning. How many of you thank Jesus for the air conditioning in this place today? Thank you, Pastor Brian, for paying an electricity bill. Hallelujah. Thank you, church, for giving the money to do it. I ain't trying to go back to the no plumbing. You trip out into the woods, you know, in the outhouse and all that stuff. But I am going to tell you there was something different about the generations that preceded us. Because it seems like this generation somehow has a, a consumer mentality, a little bit of a consumer mentality. I see it in Charlotte. Well, I like Church A because the preaching is good, but the music, pfft, I don't like that. Church B, the, uh, the music is popping, but the preaching is shallow. I don't like that. Church C has the music and the preaching, but the coffee tastes gross. <laughs> Church D has the music and the preaching and the coffee, but I went and nobody spoke to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the old generations that came before me, they had what I call a lay hold of mentality. See, you and I are in a fight for our lives, for our souls. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to steal the salvation of our children. 
And that old generation had a lay a hold of mentality. You, know, you can't even go to heaven, according to 1 Timothy, unless you lay hold to eternal life. Matthew eleven twelve, 12, Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and the forceful lay hold to it. It's something about seizing and grasping. Laying hold to means to grasp and to seize. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 11, Which one among you, if you lost an animal, wouldn't lay hold to that animal? Paul said in Philippians 3, I haven't been made perfect. I haven't attained everything, but this is the one thing that I do. I press on to lay hold of that which Jesus Christ has laid hold of for me. I don't think God wants us to have this mentality. Well, the good Lord knows my dress. He wants to bless me. He knows how to find me. Good luck, Turbo, on that. I think he wants us to lay hold to the salvation of our children with the promise of God. Acts 16, 31. I think he wants us to lay hold of our joy, lay hold of our vision, lay hold of our momentum. He wants us to lay hold of that which he's laid hold of for us. It's the time you got to act. In Peru in uh, December 17th, 1996, the Japanese ambassador was having a, uh, a holiday party. And on that fateful day, 14 militants from the Tupac Amaru group stormed the embassy and they took 72 hostages. Well, there was a president then named President Alberto Fujimoto and he began immediately to prepare. He started, he started moving things. He built up in, in about a week a full-scale mock compound to scale of the Japanese ambassador's uh, residence. He got 140 Navy SEAL type elite soldiers, started training them. Uh, he got 24 miners, 24 hours a day, three shifts, digging 190 t- feet of tunnel, 10 feet underneath the compound, putting down carpet and plywood on the walls. He started putting C4 in different places. When it got loud in the drilling, he would march military tanks around, blaring military music. He started doing psychological profiles on all of the, on all of the militant terrorists. Then, it, then in the spring, they started getting lazy. And the terrorists started playing soccer every day from 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock in, in the afternoon. And they knew they had him. Everything was in place. The dry bones were prophesied to. Everything was standing, ready to roll. The elite of the elite, ready to go. All they were waiting on was somebody to grab the walkie-talkie and say, Go. I think that's the way it is in families and churches. Everything's in place. You got the theology, you've got you you know what's up, and all that is left to do is say, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna do what God told me to do. So he acted. And then I don't want to buzz through this too fast. I think it's important. You gotta lead. You got to lead. Now, I know we tell our kids. Be a leader, Billy. Don't be a follower. Well, you know, if everybody's a leader, who's on the curb clapping as the the parade goes by? Somebody's got to follow. There's 600 people following and one leader, David. And David was a leader. He went with 600 men. They found an Egyptian, verse 11. He's in the field and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate and water to drink. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs, two clusters of raisin. He eaten. Strength came back to him. He'd eaten no bread, drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong? And where are you from? And the African said, 
I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Chethrothites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. Back to David. His hands were too bloody to build a temple. God wouldn't let him. His, his sons, Solomon, had to. David was a, a man you didn't trifle with. They came to David one time and said, hey, long live King David. We killed the king on your behalf. And you thought it was no small thing to kill a king? Larry, kill that guy right there. You didn't mess with David. Uh, He's a man after God's own heart, but on his deathbed, he called one of his kids over and said, swear to God that you're going to kill the guy who insulted me a few years ago. That That was his dying wish. The guy who wrote the Psalms. He'd lay down his enemies. He'd take a cord of, he'd take a cord of rope and he'd go, oh, y'all are going to die. Oh, y'all dead. Oh, y'all can live. You won the lottery. All right, here we go. You didn't mess with David. And this Egyptian is looking at David and he says, basically, I burn your house down. But instead of having a knee-jerk reaction, David saw an opportunity. He said, can you take me down? to where my people are. See, this Egyptian had been left behind because he got sick. Be careful who you step on on the way up the ladder. You might meet him on the way back down the ladder. And the guy says, swear to God, you won't kill me. And David says, I swear I won't kill you. And he takes him to his stuff. See, I may not be able to lead this great church. That may not be in my wheelhouse. But I better be able to lead myself. Proverbs says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. And when you lose something valuable, that's the time you better lead your own spirit. And, even, and then that translated in leading men. He came out with the stuff and, and, and the men, the Bible calls, and read the whole chapter, wicked and worthless men, probably the same guys picking up rocks to kill him, wicked and worthless, wicked and worthless. There's always going to be wicked and worthless people. Wicked and worthless people said, don't give those, don't give those guys at the Brook Beesaw anything. They didn't fight. With, don't give them, don't or give them their family. They're ugly anyway. Y'all go on now. Get, get on out of here. And David says, stop. From now on, I'm going to set policy. The man who sits with the gear, same pay as the man who throws the spear. So you grieve and you hope and you act and you lead in the process. And then finally is the favorite part. You recover. You recover. And David received, recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And he rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was lacking. Either small or great, sons or daughters, poor, or anything which they had taken from David. David recovered all. What was the promise? Go get your stuff, boy. You'll get it all back and without fail recover all. You know, we might be a temporary loser, but y'all, we don't have to be failures. That's what I'm saying. That's the promise. What's the history? And David recovered all. We'll tell a story and make another point, and then we're going to pray. If you're a Kentucky Wildcat fan, this may be a difficult minute and a half for you right now. I commiserate with all of the football people. Miracle of the Bluegrass, November 9, 2002, Commonwealth Stadium. The mighty LSU Tigers were taking on the lowly Kentucky Wildcats. <laughs> and they were expected to get beat, and they were getting beat as expected until they came on, back on a 13-3 run and tied the game against Nick Saban and the SEC champs. 
27 to 27, the place starts going nuts. This was amazing. They get the ball back. They, they, they go down. The offensive lineman calls a timeout off on first down, and so they send in the kicker. He kicks a field goal. Now Kentucky's up by three. They kick off Penn LSU down at the, at the nine-yard line, and there's 11 seconds left. Marcus Randall takes, a, takes the, the snap. Throws a quick out, 26-yard line. They got two seconds left. The people are coming out of the stadium, racing to the field. Security's trying to hold them back. Everybody knew that the game was over. Marcus Randall could not throw the ball that far, though he was a great quarterback and athlete. Two seconds left. Berlin, 93 dash left was the play. He throws the ball as hard as he can. It's 25 yards short of the end zone. People have raced onto the field. They're surrounding the quarterback. The coach was doused with Gatorade. I mean, just every the place is just going pandemonium. The problem is somebody got a hand on that ball, and Devery Henderson, a receiver, comes underneath that ball at the 15-yard line, races in for an LSU win, but the television puts up the wrong score. Jefferson Pilot says, Kentucky wins. Fireworks are going off in the stadium. How would you like to be the loser of the game and soaked with Gatorade right down to your underdrawers? I mean, that'd be a rough deal. Would that be rough? There was a, a premature celebration the radio announcer says, they're, on, they're tearing down the score, the, the goalposts, and I don't know why. We did not win the game. <laughs> now, now, think about that context as we read these last few verses. It's one of my favorites. Verse 16, the Egyptian brings them down. There they were, there they were, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing. What does that sound like? Party? Nightclub? eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which had been taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. <laughs> and David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. <laughs> I love that. They're partying, man. They're, they're just like at the Commonwealth Stadium. Throw me a beer. Hey, we got his stuff. Hey, Look at his kids cry. Hey. There's 400 set of eyeballs looking at him in the woods. And as the great American philosopher Beyonce once said, you must not know about me. <laughs> you must not know about David. Because he had a promise. And he had a reconnection with the God of his youth. I think the enemy celebrates over you prematurely. Maybe you came in here. She's so depressed. Hey, we got her joy. Hey, he's all in sin. Hey, but you have a Hail Mary. His name is the son of Mary. And as long as he's on this earth, you can get your stuff back, ladies and gentlemen. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a standing ovation. We want our stuff, God. We want our stuff. We want to lay hold of that which you've laid hold of for us. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Gloria su nombre, Padre, hallelujah. The doctor said before my brother-in-law's face hit the Georgia clay, he was dead. But I preached his funeral, and there were 2,000 people in the, in the building. 
I've never seen that many people as our home church. Even for the Gaithers, there weren't that many people. I'm telling you, it was, they were everywhere, sitting on steps. He was a believer. He had followed Jesus. He, he wasn't good in the eyes of God because he was a two-time national football champion at Georgia Southern for Irk Russell or because he was an athletic director or because he was a preacher's kid. He looked good in the eyes of God because... My brother-in-law loved Jesus. He wasn't perfect, but he had accepted the Son of God into his life and tried to walk with him. So if the doctor's right and the Bible is right, before my brother-in-law Danny Durham's face hit the Georgia clay, his feet hit streets paved with gold. That's the promise. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But I've done too much, Joe. Oh, really? You kill people like David? Done all? You run away from God? All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. I ask you to bow your heads, and if you are away from God 300 feet, like Simon Peter was in the boat away from Jesus, not recognizing who he was. Or maybe you're three million miles from God. To be away is to be away is to be away. You don't have to be away from God anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to count to three, not as a gimmick, but as a point of reference. When I say the number three, if you're away from God and you don't want to be away from God anymore, I'm going to ask you right where you stand to raise a hand and say, pray for me. Pray for me. One, Joe, I didn't need anybody to tell me I've had bad thoughts. I've said bad words. I've done wrong things. I've failed to do the things that I'm supposed to do. I knew that walking in the door. I knew that when I woke up. Two, I don't want to go to bed tonight like I did last night. I want to put my head on the pillow and know that I know that I know that my reservation is set in heaven. Well, you can know it. The Bible says these things are written that you might K-N-O-W know that you have eternal life. This is, this is your moment. Are you ready? <laughs> I promise you God is ready. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When I say this number, if you're away from God, leave Raise your hand, leave it up for a moment. Why would I do that, Joe? Well, the Bible says Jesus seeing their faith. There's just something about that expression of faith that says, I need the Savior. I need the Savior. And it's just a matter of receiving Him like a little child. You ready? If you're away from God, this is your moment. I want to connect with God. I want my name written in heaven. That's me, Joe. Three. Raise your hand if that's you. Yeah, keep it up for just a little bit. Keep it up. Oh, my Lord. 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 Put your hands down. Not that we're keeping track for the sake of statistics. There was 10 people in this room that say, I want Jesus. That's the mark of a healthy church. The Spirit of God comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. And these precious people have raised their hand and say, that's what I want. I want Jesus. So I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to pray with you. A stuttering prayer. I'm just going to ask you to fill in the blanks. Make it your prayer. If you can talk on the phone, you can talk to God. It's easy. Just talk to Him. Just like talk to Him. And then we're going to pray for you at the end. God, I pray for all 10 of these people, or however many it was, that
that they'll understand, repent, believe, and trust only in Jesus Christ for eternal life, that they'll understand what they're supposed to understand. They'll repent, turn the car around, go the other way. They'll believe and trust, not in any church or denomination, but only in Jesus Christ for their eternal life, even as they pray a simple prayer. Y'all pray. Pray this prayer. You can do it softly, quietly. Do it out loud. Make it your prayer. Here, here I here we go. Dear God, here I am. Dear God, here I am. This is me. And I know I've had bad thoughts. And I know I've said bad things. And I, I know I've done wrong. And I'm sorry. And I've not done some of the right that I'm supposed to do. And I'm sorry. And I confess it. I ask you to forgive me. And I confess something else, too. I'm going to count to three. I want everybody from the band to the back row to say out loud with your mouth, Jesus is Lord at the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Now back to our prayer. With my mouth, I just confess Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. So I, I invite you in. Take, take my life. You gave it to me anyway. I receive your eternal, I receive your eternal life. Live big inside of me and help, help me to live, help me to live for you. Say that the Lord is help me to live for you. Yeah, yeah. I need you, Jesus. And I don't understand everything, but I want everything. Help me understand what I'm supposed to understand. And that's why we pray this great church, Generations Church, prays that you will help them understand what they're supposed to understand, when they're supposed to understand, and they grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and the roots of discipleship. Uh, will go way down deep and find that living water and the fruits of ministry will go up high and they'll produce fruit that remains and not one thing would steal what you planted in their heart. No birds in the air, no cares in the air, no difficult places, but that they're going to grow and bring other people with them to heaven in Jesus' name. Can we give the Lord an ovation in this house today? Hey! Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.